find the text that I'm going to be preaching from in John chapter 18, verse 28 is where we'll pick up and go down to verse 38. Um, but I'm going to begin reading one verse. We'll look at that whole text, verse 28 through 38. But I want to begin in towards the end of that in verse 37. This series of messages that I'm trying to deliver to you in the month of December for the Advent season, the the season in which we recognize that Christ was coming and he was born, Um, I'm trying to examine, there's there's probably about, I think it's something like, I should should have had this count written down, but I think it's something like 10 or 12 different examples or places in the scriptures where Jesus says something to the effect, I came because, or I came for, and he gives a reason that he came. I can't do all of those this, this Christmas season. We'll do some in future Christmas seasons, I'm sure. But I'm looking at four of those. Uh, last week, we say that we, we talked about how he, he uh, came to seek and save the lost. Today, we're going to be looking about how Jesus came to give us the truth. And I want you to see this in verse 37. This is the statement that Jesus makes. He's standing before Pilate on that time where he's being... Uh, uh, it's, it's a mock trial. I, I hesitate to say he's being judged because he's not being judged fairly by any means, but he is being judged and he's before Pilate who's the, who's the, the ruler of that, that area and Pilate asks him in verse 37, he says, art thou a king then? And Jesus answered. So he doesn't really answer the question about whether he's a king or not. He says this, he says, to this end was I born and for this cause came I into the world that I should bear witness unto the truth. Everyone that is is of the truth heareth my voice. Jesus says the reason that he came was to bear witness to the truth, to give us what is true. I want to begin with a word of prayer, and then I want to get into the message here and pray that the Lord will um, encourage you and help you uh, with this message. I pray, God, that you will help me to speak plainly, clearly, forcefully where necessary, comfortingly where it's needed. But Lord, ultimately, I pray that these people will hear your voice, hear you speaking the truth. And we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. So what is truth? In fact, if you were to go to verse 8, or 38, excuse me, of this text, you'll find Pilate asked that question. What is truth? Jesus has come to give it to us. What is it? And it's uh, particularly confusing in this day and age, I think, if you're paying attention to the world around us. We're told you need to tell your truth. Tell your truth. That's what they say. Tell your truth. And basically they're saying everything is true. At the same time, those same people that say tell your truth would claim, rightly or wrongly, I'll let you others debate that, that this president or the previous president was not telling the truth. They'll say he was a liar. Well, maybe he's just telling his truth. <laughs> it's just like they're making truth up. Why, why are you going to say one man's a liar and others not? They'll also say that boys can be girls or girls can be boys. Y- y'all know they're saying this stuff, right? I'm not, I'm not saying, y'all do understand, Matthew's not saying this. That's what they're saying. Y'all look at me like, me, he's gone that way too. No, I know. Y'all got to listen to me. They say that, they say that, yet at the same time, they're going to sit around and say, well, anytime a woman says some accusation of, uh, of some sort of attack against her, we're supposed to believe everything she says. 
Again, I'm not even making a claim that you shouldn't. I'm just saying they say both of these things at the same time. Who, what is even a woman in this world? They'll tell me that black lives matter, but they'll also say that unborn babies do not matter. They'll tell me that children are a choice that a mother can make, whether to have that child or to kill that child, yet they will tell me that eating meat, pork, and beef is murder. I'm just, I'm trying to tell you, are we not confused in this world? And I'm not, I'm not even, I'm definitely, again, I'm not making claims pro or con on any of those statements other than I'll just clearly say, I believe that babies ought to have a, ought to have a right to live. Just so you know that in case anybody's questioning that. I also will say point blank in case anybody's wondering about it. I believe that, that we can tell what's a boy and what's a girl. But anyway, let's just move on from that. I'm just trying to say this world's confused. This world's confused. And it's no wonder because of that confusion that there's very low trust in the institutions of this world. The idea of truth being flexible, though, is not new to 2023. That's not a new thing. Don't even pretend that it's a new thing. Don't even act like it's a new thing. It has been around forever. We always want, and not only is it not just, because this is, the, I, I picked up, I know my audience. I picked up the red meat. I know what y'all, I know, I know what the things that you're going to say, yep, they're confused about. But I want you to also make sure it's not just them out there that are confused. We're confused too sometimes. Just ask somebody, how are you doing? What's the answer? You know the answer. I'm doing fine. You might have been falling apart, but you're fine. Why? Because the truth's flexible. Everybody's going to heaven. You ask, I guarantee you, you ask, especially in Ash County, you go around and ask everybody, are you going to heaven? Oh yeah, I'm going to heaven. But you look at their lives and they are literally, while they, on, they say they are on the path to heaven, they are living as if they are in hell today. We fuss and fight about those wicked sinners out there, but we run with them, we drink with them, we party with them. Now I'm going to get real personal. We nod off in church, but we know exactly who needs to hear that message. Do you understand what I'm saying? What I'm getting you to see is it's easy for us to lie to ourselves. And that's what the devil wants. He wants us to believe a lie. He wants us to be confused about what's true. He wants us to say what I believe is true, but what you believe is a lie. He's fine with that. He wants us to, he wants us to get confused about what's absolutely true and to justify ourselves, which is why Jesus came, as he said in verse 38, or rather verse 37, he came for this reason, to bear witness unto the truth. He came to set the record straight, to say this is true. You can believe what you want to believe, but this is true. That's what he's saying. So in this mess, in this text, I'm going to give you, I'm just going to go ahead and tell you what my, my outline is. I've got five things. There's five lies that Jesus came to save us from. Five lies that he's come to save us from. I'm going to show you that in this, in this passage, beginning in verse 28. I'll actually go back to verse 28, if you don't mind going there with me. And it would be great if you had your Bible open in front of you. If you don't have a Bible, there's some in the pews there that you can certainly borrow. Um, in fact, if you don't have one, take it home with you. Uh, verse 28. Remember I told you this is Jesus' trial as he's about to go to the cross. And they led Jesus from Caiaphas 
unto the hall of judgment, and it was early, and they themselves went not into the judgment hall. I'm going to stop there. There's a phrase at the end I want to get back to, but I just want to make sure you know what's going on here. The they that's in this, in this passage are the Jewish leaders, the Sanhedrin. These would have been people who would have already gone through, they had already done the, the, the religious trial, if you will, of Jesus. They've already done that. They're now bringing him over to the political authorities to say, you handle him. That's what Pilate is. He's a political leader. And they have, it's, it talks about the, the time of day. It's very early in the morning. And it says they, they're taking him over to the, if you will, the government center. That's what they're doing. They're taking him to the government center. And it says they're not going to go into the judgment hall, as the Bible says there. Why? Lest they should be defiled, but that they might eat the Passover. And the reason they don't want to go in there is because that judgment hall is a Gentile place. So they're Jews, and this is Gentiles, and there's a difference between them religiously and all these other reasons. But that house was a house of Gentiles. And they said, if we go in there, we're going to be impure. They're going to have the Passover. It's about to happen, and we want to be able to take the Passover. And we want to be religiously clean so that we can take the Passover. So we're not going to go into that building. And you say, well, that sounds reasonable. Well, I want you to understand something, that they're basing that on a passage in Numbers chapter 19. The Numbers chapter 19, I won't belabor it, but I'll just simply say it's a passage about not being in contact with dead things. So if you were maybe had a, an animal or a person in your home that had died or somehow you come in contact with that, you're now religiously impure. So that was in the Bible. That was in the Torah. That was in there. That was something they had to abide by. So now what they had done was they had taken another leap or three or four and said, because there was a rumor, and you understand this is a rumor, that the Gentiles... Thing that they just would do, this was their rumor, this is, this is where people make up stuff, you understand? That the Gentiles, when they would have babies, they would just throw those babies over the balcony and kill them. That was the, that was the rumor. So therefore, because that was somebody somewhere might have done that, every Gentile house would be, un, would be defiled. All that's, you can say, well, I don't even understand that. Well, that's not the bigger point is that there's nowhere in the Bible that says you can't enter into a Gentile house. There's this law about not touching dead bodies. That's what that's about. And they've taken it and extended it. You understand that? Does that make sense to you? So they're saying there's this gray area where it's debatable whether that was the truth or not. We're going to abide by that. We want to make sure we're pure and clean and right so we can take of the Passover when it comes. But let me just point you out to another passage of Scripture. It's Exodus chapter 20 and verse 16. Do you know what Exodus chapter 20 verse 16 says? Thou shalt not bear false witness against thy neighbor. Don't lie. You know what these jokers have been doing for the last 24 or some hours? Lying on Jesus. And they know they're lying on Jesus. They even had to tell somebody, hey, this is what you need to say so we can have two or three witnesses. They had to literally manufacture the case against Jesus. So what they're doing is they're saying, we're going to uphold this law that nobody really completely agrees is fully a law, but it's kind of a traditional thing we're going to do, while fully ignoring the black and white letter of the word of God so that we can be pure. <laughs> what we tend to do, you and I, is we tend to focus on the laws, the shouts and shout-nots that justify ourselves. 
For example, as long as I come to church and I give money in church and I say Christian things and I don't cuss too bad, at least when nobody's listening to me, um, it's okay that what the Bible might call stealing or cheating or gossiping or hating people, but I'll, I'll put different words on it. You know, I just got a little better deal. It's called cheating, people. That's when we lie and steal, it's cheating. You didn't get a better deal, you cheated. Um, when we hate people, oh, I don't hate them. I just, that's just, you know, they're not like me. We're, we can come from different. No, no, you're hating on them. You're hating them. What I'm trying to get you to do to see is what these people did is what we do is we say, I'm okay as long as I do religious stuff. As long as I, everybody else is good with this and, and, and I'm, I, I do what my, my community is, thinks is a good thing. I know God said these things over here, but they don't really apply to me because you don't understand I do all these other good things. But what you need to understand is that your sin condemns you no matter how big, no matter how small it is. And what Jesus said he came to give us or to bear witness to the truth, he came to tell us, listen, you're lost no matter how big your sin, no matter how religious you think you are, how good you think you are, you are lost and you need a savior. You need his righteousness. You need his holiness. You need his saving. It's not by works of righteousness, which we have done, but according to his mercy that he saved us. The lie that Jesus is trying to save us, has come to save us from, is not that, the lie is that we can, we're gonna be okay as long as religious people. No, no, no. Religious people have as much, rather, can I just say, more sin than most people. At least the sinner out there that doesn't even have anything to do with church at least acknowledges that what he's doing is wrong. He may not want to do anything about it, but at least he recognizes, yeah, I'm not, I'm not religious, but a lot of us religious people, what Jesus is trying to save us from, what he's come to save us from is to say, no, your religion is actually damning you as well if you're not willing to accept him as your savior. Line number two. I'm going to show you in verse 29. After they have brought Jesus to Pilate, Pilate comes out to them in verse 29. Pilate then went out into them. Because remember, they wouldn't go in the building, so he has to come out to them. So he comes out and said, what accusations bring you against this man? It's a reasonable question. Uh, they're bringing him to, they're bringing Jesus to the, the, the political leaders. And he's saying, okay, what do you want us to do? What's the charge? What, what, are you, what, what, what's, what are you arresting this guy for? But look at their answer. They answered and said unto him, if he were not a malefactor, would we not have delivered, we would not have delivered him up unto thee. Did y'all hear what the, the answer they're giving? There, he said, what is the charge? You know what their answer is? We wouldn't have brought him to you if we didn't have charges against him. We wouldn't have brought him to you if he wasn't a bad guy. That's not what Paul asks. He asks, what's the charge? What's the charge? And they, they don't give him an answer. They, they are blustering. They, they know they don't have, by the way, they know they don't have any charges. Nothing that sticks, nothing that's legit. They know they don't have anything, so they're blustering. And they're saying, no, no, you don't understand, Pilate. This dude's bad. You've got to take him. You've got to do something with him. Well, what are you charging with him? We wouldn't have brought him to you if he wasn't bad. <laughs> they're, they're blustering thing is, what they're trying to point out is, yeah, we know that there's something wrong with what we're doing, but we're going to throw up a smoke screen. This is what we do with our sin. We try to say, and you've probably said it before, if not out loud in your mind, I know I have, 
I'm not as bad as that person. My sin is not as bad as his or hers. That's what they're trying to say. Why are you talking about what I'm doing? Look at what he's doing. Why are you asking me about me? Look at, look at him. He's bad. He's bad. Look at him. Look at him. But Jesus has come to give us the truth. There is none righteous. No, not one. He alone is faithful. He alone is just to correct and make right and to, and to set us on the right path. He alone can forgive us and cleanse us of our sins. But what it requires of us is not to take the lie that we all like to tell ourselves we're not as bad as other people. You can't take that lie. We have to understand that there is something wrong with each of us. Paul says, and I think it's in Corinthians where he says, when you compare yourself to other people, it's not a wise thing to do. In so many words. You know why that is? Because, well, let's be honest about it. <laughs> what? <laughs> this is a horrifying thought to me. If the Lord were to peel back right now, put up on a screen, drop that screen, just push back on that screen, and let's go through each person in this room, the thoughts that we've had, the opinions that we've held, the attitudes that we've had, the actions that we've done, this past, just this past week, we're not talking about in the past, no, just this past week. Could you imagine? And you know what would happen? I guarantee you, because I would do it. I, I promise you. Y'all might not do it, because y'all are better than me, but I would do this. You know what I would do? Phew, man. Sure glad Charlie did that, because man, I, you know, I don't look as bad now, because he did all that. <laughs> Wouldn't you? Wouldn't you? You know you would. That's what we all do. That's what we all do. But Jesus says, no, 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 no. There's none that's righteous. You have got to come to the place where you stop saying, look at him. I'm not that bad. Look at them. You've got to understand that you, because of what you have done, you deserve hell. Because of what you have done, you have offended a, right, a righteous and holy God. Because of who you are, you have. Yes, there are bad people in this world and the world's full of them. But let me just tell you, the whole world can get saved. But if you do not accept the fact that you are a sinner, you, by yourself, solely and singly, will go to hell and spend eternity there. But if you will confess your sin, you will accept it as it is your sin. Admit it as, as bad as it is. First John chapter one, verse nine says, if we will confess, he is faithful. He is just to forgive us our sins. The lie that we like to tell ourselves is we're not as bad as other people, but Jesus came to save us from that lie that yes, you're as bad and worse, but he'll save you and forgive you anyhow. Number three, the third lie we like to tell ourselves is it's not really my fault anyway. I'm going to show you this. Look what happens in verse 31. Pilate comes back to him since they won't give him a straight answer in verse 30. He gives him, he says, listen, take ye him and judge him according to your law. He says, if he's so bad, why don't y'all judge him? You do it. Why are you asking me to do your dirty work? That's what he's asking. He knows it's a religious matter. He knows, he understands. Pilate's not a dummy. He understands what's going on. He knows that these people are trying to railroad Jesus to make him do their dirty work. That's what he understands. He says, why don't y'all do this? And their answer is, look what they say. The Jews, is verse 31, the last part, the Jews therefore said unto him, it is not lawful for us to put any man to death. They say, we would, but, you know, there's that pesky Roman law stuff. We just can't do it. Now, now, that sounds good, doesn't it? It does sound good. It sounds smart. 
But, but I want to just recall for just a minute, in Luke chapter 4, verse 29, Jesus says some stuff that they don't like, these same people, and they try to push him off a cliff. I can guarantee you the Roman law wouldn't allow that, but they were trying. The only reason they did was because God himself held them back from doing that. You go to Roman, or John, excuse me, Luke chapter 4, verse 29. You'll see that's what they were trying to do. In John chapter 10, verse 31, they tried to stone him. Jesus, they tried to pick up stones and stone him. Again, God intervened because it wasn't time for Jesus to die. But these people, had they done what they wanted to do, they would throw rocks and smash his skull in. I guarantee you that was against the Roman law. They would do the same thing to Stephen in Acts chapter 7. You know that? Stephen, one of the first deacons, he gets stoned by these same people for the same kind of reasons because they don't like what he has to say. And I can guarantee you that was against the Roman law. And they engineered this whole trial, which I can guarantee you that Rome would have nothing to do with, would want nothing to do with if they understood the inner workings of it. So I can tell you that them saying it's, not, it's against the law is not about them trying to be law-abiding citizens. It is instead the fact that they want to be able to push the blame off on somebody else. Oh, we didn't crucify Jesus. Those, those guys did. That's what they want to do. And that's what we often do with our sin is we try to push our foolishness off on somebody else. It's not my fault. I didn't do it. It wasn't me. It was somebody else. There's so many people who would call themselves Christians who stand on the sidelines and giggle and enjoy the sin of other people. We, we're not doing it. They're doing it. But we're over there enjoying that they're doing it. Knowing the judgment of God that they which commit such things are worthy of death. But not only they who do the same, but have pleasure in them that do them. Paul makes the point in Romans chapter 1 that it's not just the sin itself, but even if we stand by and we stand against. This is what happens in America too many times, and too many, and too many particularly in business. We, 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 like, we, get, we spend a lot of money and a lot of time and a lot of attention on certain things, and those things themselves are not necessarily that bad, but what they support are evil, abuse, and rotten and sinful, and yet we can stand by and perfectly legitimately say, I didn't do it. Yeah, but your money supported people that did. I didn't do it. Yeah, but you profited when they did. That's sin just the same. So we can stand back and the lie tell the devil wants us to believe the lie. It's not my fault. I didn't do it. Wasn't me. It was somebody else. And Jesus came to tell us the truth that. You might not have done it, but you're just as guilty. It's ultimately my sin and my willingness to support sin that put him on the cross. Line number four, we can move on for the sake of time. Line number four is that people think they'd be better off if they had a better leader. They'd be okay if they had a better leader. Look at what happens in verse 33. Uh, Pilate, after he's uh, heard all this, and this back, well, verse 32 talks about how God knew all this to begin with. Verse 33, in verse 33, Pilate goes back to the judgment hall and he calls Jesus and he says to Jesus, he says, Art thou the king of the Jews? Of course, Jesus answers in verse 34, Sayest thou thing, this thing of thyself, or did others tell it of me? And Pilate answers, Am I a Jew, thine own nation, and the chief priest who delivered thee unto me? What hast thou done? Jesus, or rather, Pilate looks at Jesus and says, they're telling me you're a king. I just don't believe it. 
You don't look like any king I've ever heard of. What kind of king is this? He had been told about Jesus being king. This was, Pilate didn't come to this conclusion by himself. Somebody had told him this guy's king. And when he looks at Jesus, he sees someone who's weak, who's not fighting back, and it's hard to believe. And let's just, just level with ourselves here. When we look at the image of Jesus in the Gospels, especially in that Passion Week as it leads up to the cross, and he is nailed to the cross, it's not what we think of when we think of glorious leaders. He is inglorious. He's weak. He's beaten down. He's defeated. It's what I would expect to happen when defeat has come. And so Pilate, I think, is reflecting our attitudes towards this and saying, we want someone who's got physical power. We want to see change. We want to see something that's going to give us hope. We want to see a strong leader who can fix everything or we can blame everybody, everything on. We want somebody who can, can fix everything from the gas prices to the, to the, to the job crisis. We want, to fix, we want to get somebody who can, can fix the sinful attitudes of people. We want to get somebody who can fix the infighting. And by the way, this doesn't stop at the White House or in Congress. We want this in our churches. We want this in our communities. We want this in our businesses. We want this in our workplace. We want leaders in place who can fix things. That's what we want. And, and if, they, if they don't fix it like we want to, you know what we want to do? They're the problem. That leader's the problem. That's what we want to do. That's what we do. So Pilate asked the question, are you king, really? You don't look like what I want. But look at Jesus' answer in verse 30, 36. My kingdom is not of this world. If my kingdom were of this world, would my servants fight? Then I should not be delivered to the Jews. But now is my kingdom not from hence. He says, listen, son, you don't understand. I'm a kind of king that you ain't never seen anything like. I'm from a different place. I'm doing a different thing. This is not a kingdom that's from here. My kingdom is in the next world. What Jesus has done is he's come to give us the truth. And that truth is that Jesus is king. He's not the king that this world thinks they want. He is the king that this world needs. He is king, and you know how he becomes king? In a way that none of us would ever want a king to become king. He becomes king through suffering, through loss, through humility, through pain, through bleeding, through dying. That's how he becomes king. In fact, because he does that, Paul writes in Philippians 2 that God has given him a name which is above every name, that at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow. Every tongue would confess. Why are they? Why is that? Well, one, I believe, is because that's who he is. He's just king. But it's deserved of him because he has bled and died and suffered. Please understand that what Jesus did, he doesn't fight. He says there, hey, if my kingdom was this world, I'd send all my armies after you. You couldn't stand it. But Jesus is not a fighting king. He is a king that saves and liberates through his own death. That's what he does. He doesn't have to fight because he has a name that's above every name. The truth is he is the king of kings no matter what. We sit there and say, well, if we had a better pastor, if we had a better uh, boss, if we had a better president, if we had a better congressperson, if we had a better town, town leader, whatever the thing is, you don't need any of those things. You need the one true king. He will win. And you might have to go through some suffering to get there. Paul, or Peter talks about this in 1 Peter. There may be suffering that we have to endure. 
But in the end, his kingdom is not of this world. There's a kingdom to come. That's the lie that he, the lie that we need a better leader. No, no, no. He says, no, I am that leader. Last lie. That we can't, we just believe, we just can't really know what's true at all. That's why uh, Pilate responds to Jesus in verse 38. What is truth? What is truth? Pilate, if you know anything about him historically as well as in the Bible, from the Bible, he's a man who's been, I think at this point in his life, has been worn down by politics, by religion, by people's opinions. He has been jaded, as they say. And his answer, I think, when you listen to it, it just says, what is truth? It's three simple words, but I believe in the context that it's a, it's a response that suggests sarcasm, disgust. You mean you're going to come tell me the truth? What is truth anyway? It's just sort of a, a dismissal of all things that are true. It's, he's confused. He's got a nihilistic attitude. Nothing matters. Nothing's important. Nothing is true. That's his attitude. And I believe that there are many of us in today's world that as much as even in this church that you may believe the Bible and you may believe that there's a temptation, there is a strong temptation to reject the idea of absolute truth. And and I will say this because if you may say, I believe that the Bible says, but I just look at our own arguments and our lives and I will tell you that we are inconsistent in this very idea of absolute truth. We use self-serving arguments. Let me just give you a couple of examples to help you understand what I'm talking about. I'm just going to give you one that I, I, it may or may not help you, but I, I think it will illustrate my point. I believe that homosexuality is a sin according to the scripture. I believe that's what the Bible says. However, many Christians do not oppose homosexuality primarily because of the scriptures. They oppose it because they find it uncomfortable or disgusting in some way. And the reason I know that is because the minute that they have a family member or a close friend who is participating in that lifestyle and in that that community, they will weaken on their position on it. Because their position about what is homosexuality is sin or not is not based on absolute truth, God's word. They'll say that until it matters. And then they'll say, maybe not so much. I, I will say the same thing about, I think we can say the same thing about a number of topics. Music in the church. I was just talking about that earlier today. We'll say, well, you know, I believe in God's word. And where God says certain things about how music needs to be glorifying to him, yet then we will say, well, this music's glorifying him because it says the right words. Never mind that it sounds exactly like what you might go into a nightclub or a bar and hear exactly the same thing. We got real quiet, so I'm going to move on from that one. Um, <laughs> Let's just move on from that one just real quick. Um, But the point is that we say we believe in absolute truth until it's something we like. Until it's something I want. And then I can wiggle my way around it any which way I want to. Never mind, like I told you about lying before. Those Jews, they were saying, oh, we don't want to go into this house even though that was not even in the Bible. But this one that God said, black and white, don't do it. They're fine with it because they can find a way around it. It's what we want to do. That's what we want to do. I mean, this, by the way, applies for everything from uh, immigrants. Immigrants. Let me get, let me get, let me get real controversial. Let's get political for a second. 
let's get political for a second. I'm feeling feisty, so let's go. Uh, immigrants for a second. That's one. Again, let's be honest, there's a lot of these political issues where, you know, there are, there's lots of ways to approach it that you can still be biblically uh, responsible. But people would say, I believe the Bible. Well, what about immigration? Well, I think we ought to close the border. You do know that the Bible says in the Bible, black and white, that God loves the immigrant. He does say that. He does say that. At the same time, for those who say, oh yeah, yeah that's right, we let them all in. But it does also say that a man who won't take care of his own family is worse than an infidel. You do understand that too, right? So, so I'm just trying to get you to see, you can sit here and have all kinds of opinions and you can say, well, I believe the Bible, but do you really? Is my point. Do you really? Do you really? All that simply to say, instead of having sarcasm or disgust or confusion or self-interest as our response to the things that are going on around us, we need to listen to the truth of God's word. And Jesus has said in verse 37, I have come that I should bear witness to the truth. We need to listen to him. Not for what we like. Not for what we want. Not before what we like and against what we don't like and ignore the rest, but instead listen to him for the absolute truth. Quit reacting to the world around us. Quit acting like, well, we like this and we don't like that. And start trusting the one who is faithful and who is true. His name is Jesus. I am closing, but I just want to say a couple of things as I'm closing. There are half-truths and fake news and self-aggrandizing fluff, and there's flat-out foolishness in this world that goes on. I'd like to think it's somebody else, but I, I'm, I contribute to it just like the rest of you do. We all do. And what this world needs is the, with a capital T, truth. The real, honest-to-goodness, sink-your-teeth-in, bet-your-life-on-it sort of truth. That's what we need. And that's exactly what Jesus came to give us at Christmas time. It's not, as I think about Christmas, I always think about, you know, when you get the kids' toys, and it's all made in China, flimsy, throwaway garbage. That's not what Jesus came to give us, disposable truth. He didn't give us something that we make what we want it to be kind of truth. He brings the real deal. And it is as much for the person who is sitting in this congregation who has never heard Jesus, heard of Jesus, has never accepted him as Savior, as it is for that person who says, Jesus is my Lord. It is for both of us. That truth is for both of those groups of people. And here's the truth. You are a sinner. The sin that you have done has caused real damage to yourself and to others. And that sin, it's your fault. I understand the things that happen that may not be your fault. There may be circumstances of your life that may be out of your control. But I will guarantee you, based on the truth that Jesus came to bear witness to, that you are a sinner and that sin is your fault. I will also tell you that there is only one person, his name is Jesus, one person who can fix it. And he's the only person we can trust. He's worth it. He's worth trusting. I'm going to ask you to stand, give you an opportunity to respond to the preaching of God's word.
Here's the truth. We're sinners. And we need a Savior. I want to invite you to come and talk to the Lord this morning. Maybe you need to confess some sin to Him. Maybe you need to confess some attitude to Him. Maybe you need to thank Him for saving you for your, from your sins. Thank Him for waking you up out of your stupor of lies. But would you believe Him? Would you hear His voice? And would you embrace His truth? Won't you come? Lord, please help us to hear you. Help us to hear you loud and clear, to, to knock out all the, all the lies and all the garbage and all the, the people who want to have an opinion on our, on our lives. Hey, put them off to the side, Lord, and help us to hear you as you call us to repentance. And I ask that you'll do this in Jesus' name.